It's June 29th. We're reading through the Bible in a year. We've come to Job chapters 16, 17, and 18. The first two chapters, 16 and 17, Job is responding to his friends and lumps them all together by saying, miserable comforters are you all. And these comforters, these friends of his aren't being very friendly or comforting. And that's the problem in this book that they're assuming so many things about Job and Job has hit bottom. I mean, he really has lost all hope in this text. As a matter of fact, this particular passage, um, the death wish here is uh, so obvious and he wants to die and he's just had enough. Uh, He feels as though God hates him and that God is against him and that God is his enemy. And of course, he gets rebuked at the end of the book by God himself by saying such um, untrue things, even though we can sympathize with him. So this has been the struggle throughout the book. Bildad responds in chapter 18, and uh, Bildad basically says, shut up. You don't know what you're talking about. And uh, why do you not listen to us? And and there's a lot of arrogance and pride in Bildad's response. And what's interesting is here he should be empathizing with and trying to identify with Job in the midst of his pain. And instead, he's basically engaging in an argument with Job. And uh, so we see the bad motives and we see the uh, kind of the, the rivalry and the competitiveness even in Bildad's response in chapter 18. So a sad situation and a sad section, of course, of Job. So we've got a few more rounds of this uh, coming in the book. Uh, but that's our reading for today, 16, 17, 18 in Job. Now, our New Testament reading is exciting. This is a great section. This is uh, pivotal in the book of Acts. We move from the focus on Peter. We'll have more of that in chapter 10. But right now in chapter 9, we're reading the first uh, 22 verses of chapter 9. The, sh- the focus is going to shift to the Apostle Paul. Uh, Paul, of course, is Saul of Tarsus. And Saul, uh, we met at the uh, martyrdom of Stephen, and he's giving hearty approval to that. We now have him heading off with authorization from the high priest to Damascus to kill uh, Christians, to, cru- uh, to uh, persecute Christians, and uh, wants to lock them up. He, he's zealous for the faith of his fathers, but he's missed the connection of the scriptures to Christ. And so he's out to kill them. And as he's going, uh, you know the story. This is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus, and he is knocked off of his horse and Christ himself speaks to him and says, why are you persecuting me? Which is a great insight, of course, because when the people of God are persecuted, uh, God takes that personally. As in the Old Testament, it talks about the persecution of the people of Israel being like someone is messing with the eyeball of God, you're the apple of my eye, you're the lens of my eye, and I'm going to take it personally. And here, Christ, second person of the Godhead, looking at the Christians being persecuted by Saul, and he says, why are you persecuting me? Uh, So insightful, so helpful, so good to see God, uh, the Godhead, identifying with his people, and Christ in particular identifying with his church in this passage. So uh, uh, Ananias, not the Ananias that was killed, of course, in chapter 5, but different Ananias is called here to uh, be the tool of evangelism. Paul, when he's knocked off of his horse, is blinded, and Ananias is called with some trepidation to be the instrument and the tool that is used to win uh, Saul to Christ. And um, interestingly enough, that God calls Saul an instrument. Paul is going to be this instrument of God to bring the gospel to so many Gentiles. And so interesting that the call of Ananias to be the instrument to get an instrument ready to do the work of evangelism in so much of the ancient world. And we are obviously beneficiaries still of Paul's uh, evangelistic fervor 
and the writings that God utilized him to produce for us in the pages of the New Testament. So that's our New Testament reading in Acts 9. Our imperative today, our community imperative, is found in Romans chapter 12, verse 15, and it's really very simple. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We'll get the second half tomorrow, but let's just start with that. Rejoice with those who rejoice, and I can't say any better than that. It's as abbreviated as we... Uh, need it to be. And so let's just make our community imperative this. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And that's helpful for us because we can so often be envious and jealous and uh, really worrying about our own advantage. And in this passage, it says within the body of Christ, when someone is honored, as it says in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, we should feel that honor when someone is rejoicing. This text says we ought to rejoice with them. We ought to have such a uh, an ability to be able to uh, celebrate the good that happens to other Christians. So I'm going to give you that assignment be looking today for someone within the body of Christ that is has something good going on in their lives and rejoice with them, celebrate with them, uh, give them a real hearty, sincere um, kind of a, a expression of your happiness and your, your, your joy that God is doing good things in their lives and that uh, they have something to rejoice in and you enter into that. Stop talking about yourself. Stop comparing with yourself. Stop make, making it about yourself and make this about them and the good things that God is doing. Sincerely engage in celebrating that. So community and prayer are very simple. Rejoice with those who rejoice. We'll be back tomorrow as we continue our reading through the Bible.